1: Welcome to 3, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. We move on to the second week. And both of our um, two in the draw will be playing on the final Manic Monday at Wimbledon. Um, A three-set victory for Novak Djokovic over Dennis Kudla, a four-set victory for Roger Federer Over Cam Norrie, we'll talk about those matches and we will preview their round of 16 matchups, of course, in the show. Uh, Let's start with Federer here, getting through Cam Norrie. I guess, you know, this is all about getting better and better every match for Federer. It started off shaky against Manorino. It looked good against his pigeon, his uh, pigeon, Richard Gasquet, <laughs> And now Cam Nori, a tougher opponent. It got a little bit tougher. But do you think that Roger Federer made that next step up that that he needed to make, Amy?
2: Yes. Remember last time I kind of compared it to the the magnetic force field and there were holes in the force field well now it's like you know the scene in jurassic park where it's coming back online you know forehand back online and the the (laughs) movement back online er. so little by little the force field is is shoring up um i i saw him early in the match missing you know by three to six inches and i think he was in the process of calibrating particularly on nori's really flat backhand exactly how much spin he needed to put on it given that it's grass you know to make it land in and he was just missing just a little bit in the early going um but he you know he shorted up and and yes uh he lost that third set but overall i think it was a really good performance
3: Yeah, we talked about how this was gonna be an indicator of where things were at with Federer. And I thought there's a much more impressive effort than the first two matches because you didn't really, you know, the Manorino thing was this fortunate end after something, uh, complications. Gasquet was pretty facile and a routine opponent, but here was a guy he hadn't played before. who's young and making some moves. I'm not saying, wow, Roger, you're back, baby, you've got it. But at least here we see him. Okay, now he's in the second week of a major. He's where he'd hope to be and we're gonna see how things continue to shape for him. So this is a good and, and some struggle. I mean he had chances, five all, 15-40 in the third set to serve out the match, but didn't do it, but and then ended up playing well enough in the fourth.
1: I don't think he's gonna pull out this time to uh prepare for Hamburg.
3: No, or the Olympics or anything else. I think <laughs> yeah, not, yeah. no statements, no Sunday no. statement. Okay, That's we're sure.
1: gonna keep going. We're gonna keep going. One part of the match that really impressed me was uh, the crucial four-all game in the fourth and what would be the final set. Federer had one break point, got a look at a second serve. Nori, of course, serves to the backhand. And on that first break point, Federer just chips it, kind of floats a chip right through the middle of the court, and Nori pounds a forehand on the next ball and wins the point. Then on the next break point, same situation, second serve. Roger, uh, as soon as the toss goes up, skids to his left, scoots around to the backhand corner, finds himself a forehand, even though Nori serves wide, and rips it inside out, which sets up his next forehand, which he crushes inside in and wins the point. That's that confidence adjustment. He takes the risk, he has a go, and it makes all the difference. Was
2: that on – the the point you're talking about was a deuce point?
1: No, an add add out for Federer breakpoint. Ad add out. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So he he gotcha. basically he runs around into the alley to make himself a forehand, where on the previous breakpoint, he just chipped the backhand return. And gotcha. I just think that is the kind of thing that is like, okay, this is what Roger Federer would do. And he does it. He takes that aggressive risk, that confident risk in a big moment, and it pays off.
3: I agree, but I wouldn't call it I wouldn't call it. It's not, a, it's not a risk as such as much as it's Roger Federer playing the tennis that he knows he needs to be to be Roger Federer. You know, it's like, sure. it's, he's taking the shot he knows he needs to take. And the first one was like, oh, wait a second, I'm not supposed to do that. And it's like, you're right, he learned the lesson from it and he made the adjustment quickly enough to, to know, this is what I gotta do. And the great thing about grass and the way Federer plays even now and the more slower grass than it once was, you gotta run through those green lights. When the light turns green, you've got to go through it. You've got to hit it. And you've got to play these staccato opportunistic points. And so that's different than, let's say, clay, where hit inside-out return. Okay, here comes another ball. Here comes another rally. It's like everything's got to be kind of quick-motored on grass. And so Federer realized that that's right. that was very, very encouraging.
2: Yeah. I thought he was really in control of his serve for the most part. I've always suspected that he had different gears on his serve. Like, you know, if he's serving well, he's probably thinking to himself, I don't need to do that, that level up, or I don't need to take that chance, that risk of of leveling up. And I started to see for the first time since he's been back and all the matches that I've watched, I started to see what I perceive is Roger Federer playing with those gears a little bit like, okay, here's a spot where I need a big serve. Let me ratchet it up to fifth gear, a little more risk. And and he seemed to be very in command of that.
3: I like that. And this gets to the point you made about the calibration. And I think what Federer does, it's really fascinating. One of the reasons I think he's so good in interviews is because he takes this interest in the question. You can see Federer, he almost wants to create a new answer every time when he says something because he wants to be creative because he wants to, because that's some of his nature. I think in tennis, he does the same thing with his opponents where he, oh, Mr. Nori, we've not met before, have we? And he kind of reads the file and takes the measure. And you only get that through the experience of the match itself. And that's one of the great things about tennis, this relationship sports. like, quite how good is that return? What's your ball telling me? How good do I really need to serve against you? I mean, of course, and this is the mm. challenge of playing someone like Novak, where... Wow, no one, no one has invented the serve yet that topples Novak Djokovic, but so Federer when he's playing someone like Norris, he's never, hmm, yes, I'm I'm aware that you've risen these 40 spots up the rankings this year, but uh, hmm, hmm, and he's seeing where can I not get hurt, where can I serve well, how big do I have to serve, and and, and I think for Federer in particular, that feeling, that comfort is really important, it's different, like the Dow is just like, I need to go to war with you, and we're going to just... Tear each other apart, but Feder needs to find. Like you notice when Feder is losing, how he moves quick, more quickly in between points. Sometimes he starts to rush, which <laughs> yeah. is exactly what you're not supposed to do. But it almost <laughs> makes him all so human. Yeah. But in this case, he he kind of measured Nori, and then he could see. And then you're right. That's that's comfortable, not just for how well he played, but his 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 working in those gears. That's one of the things that makes Feder very very pleasing. To watch because I think of our three, he's the one whose multiple gears are most uh, engaging that way because he's got so many shots and so many things he right. does.
1: I think Roger knew that the best play was to make a high percentage of first serves to the Nori backhand. We've talked about the righty lefty dynamic and how when you have opposite handedness serving to each other's backhand, it's very difficult um, for the returner to get it to the server's backhand. We've spoken about that when it comes to Nadal, but it's kind of the same dynamic the other way. And Federer made 67% of his first serves and only hit seven aces. I just don't think he was going for the aces. That wasn't the plan. The plan was get it to Nori's backhand on the first serve to set up the first forehand. I totally agree with you, Amy, that that Federer had that, that plan on his serve. He knew what gear he wanted it to be in, and he executed that game plan.
2: Yeah, and let's make no bones about it. If he is going to win at Wimbledon, then he's going to have to uh, have the serve clicking on all cylinders. I mean, he needs free points. That's just who he is. And it doesn't necessarily have to be aces, but it could be return errors. It could be the, the serve plus one put away. Um, the, these games have to be easy for him because when he starts getting into complicated service games, that's where the wheels come off. And that's not new. He's always been yeah. that way.
3: Well, and go back '09, Roddick, the final versus Roddick. He said 50 aces. Uh, and that was 16-14 the fifth, so it was a long final. But still, I think you're absolutely right. I think particularly as he's aged, uh, quicker mm-hmm. points, free of points, short forehands. All the things that come with that with good serving. So again, and that gets the thing we noticed before a few weeks ago about is the leg strength there to get him to have a hit the serve as big as he wants. And uh we'll see. This was a good this is a, a a reasonably good test. I think you're right, Gil. He didn't didn't need to think about acing Nori. He needs to think about placing him. And and aces, you no know, aces you kind of write off. Aces are just aces. What really matters is is sequences, is the serve plus one.
2: Yeah. Gil, you had a good stat that you texted us that came from the ESPN broadcast from Hawkeye. Mm -hmm. What was that?
1: It It was that Federer's serve speed, his average serve speed, is exactly what it was in 2019 on the first serve. And it's pretty much the same as well on the second serve. So there is no reduction in serve speed for Federer from the time he made the final, which is what you want to hear if you're a Federer fan.
2: That. Yes, that that is great news. I mean, after the two knee surgeries and people yep. are thinking that they're looking at him going, I ah, just can't keep up. Something's come off, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, if something has come off, then it's not the serve speed. You can put that one away. Stop worrying about that. Um, and, and, you know, all I see right now is the Federer pretty much that we've we've always known at Wimbledon just playing himself into form. Yeah.
1: All right. So to get to, to Novak's third round match, I think th- there's just one little part of the Federer match that I think was uh, actually a common denominator in Novak's as well, which is uh, just how well Federer and Djokovic handle the, the moment of, of playing on center court at Wimbledon, which is the pinnacle for a lot of players, a really big deal. Uh, for for Nori, I think it was his first time on center. I could be mistaken. He is British, so he is going to get the benefit of that scheduling. And uh, f- for Dennis Kudla, um, I believe it it may have been his as well. Or if not, he, he's Kudla, not on there very run. often.
3: That matches. Oh right, on right,
1: Kudla and Court run. right, right. So so a big court though, a, a stadium at Wimbledon. Nori seemed to be fighting his nerves early on, and then Kudla. In the third set, he got his first chance, his first chance in front of Novak and did not respond well. And it's just, uh, to me, I think both Federer and Djokovic benefited from their opponents just feeling their nerves a lot and reflecting in their game in the big moments. But, of course, it comes with the contrast that Federer and Djokovic are so good at not letting their nerves get to them.
3: Agreed. But uh, I also think... uh center court nori british guy and playing the crowd that lends itself to nerves but also lends itself to energy Mm -hmm. and there's a very different energy i spend a lot of time on both those courts court one court one is well it's certainly a big court it's always interesting how the the second big court at a major is something different than the third big court of the major it's almost like the second one is 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 so close enough to the one that it's kind of like there's not quite as good replicant as opposed to the boutique court of let's say court two or another court. So I think, I think the energy I watched Federer lose to Kevin Anderson on Court One. The Court One energy is kind of its own kind of thing, an awareness of a big court, but it's not, it's, it's not quite center court. So I, I think for Koodle, it was also just the occasion of who he was playing and the chance to possibly go into a fourth set with him. And I think Novak again, so uh, so impregnable. And again, th- those guys, of course, experience, experience matters. I mean, they're familiar with all of that stuff, bounces, right. sunlight, occasions, and everything to someone like a Kudla or Nora is like, Whoa, this is new. Oh my God. It's, it's, it's five o'clock. And here I am on this big show court testing this guy. Oh, look at that person that stands.
1: Yeah. So what happened was Kudla went up four, two Novak, double faulted twice in the third set tie break. And from, from four, two up, Dennis just played some really poor points, but then on match point, he played a fantastic point and Novak still won it. And maybe we'll get back to that, but I want to, I want to go to you, Amy. What'd you think of uh, Novak's match?
2: I was actually less focused on the tennis it's itself um, than I was on what was happening with the crowd. I mean, how many matches is it going to take for people to understand that heckling Djokovic is not a good idea? I mean, it just doesn't work. So stop doing it. It's, it's, um, it fired him up. He brought out his inner wolf. And uh, he he made a story for himself. Joel and I have a friend, Bob Litwin, who is a senior tennis champion. He's a world champion. And he talks about how you write your own story. And and if you're not doing well, then you need to rewrite your story. And uh, I think Djokovic came up with this narrative for himself that that really pushed him to the finish line. But he really didn't need a big push. The other, the other thing that I I would say, my impressions of that match are how many opponents are going to play Djokovic and think that they can beat the guy from the baseline playing their baseline game, dude, it's not going to work. You've got, and Joel and I have talked about this. You got to come up with something else.
1: I'm, I'm kind of on the other side though. I feel like I might, I might push back on, on that one a little bit, not the first point. Which point? The the point that that going to net is going to be some kind of answer. Uh, I Find
2: If, you, if you're not used to it, if you don't know how to volley, then you're right. If if, right. if you're not comfortable up there and oh, I can't execute a volley, or if you do execute a volley, you think to yourself, my God, I've got to keep doing that over and over again. And, and it scares you. Then you're right. You might as well okay. just play your baseline game and hand yeah. it to him. Right.
1: Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, Jolt. thoughts on, on Novak versus the crowd? Because he basically, I think what happened was um, Kudla got a net cord and it trickled over for a winner. And some guys who were rooting against Novak cheered really loudly. And that, that got Novak's attention. He was like, seriously, guys? Uh, and then f- from that point on, Djokovic was kind of using it as fuel. We've 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 seen we've seen this before, where Novak becomes I would I would say the word is defiant against a uh, a hostile crowd.
3: Novak is used to playing in front of crowds that kind of get on him sometimes, and he finds his energy and he finds his fuel, and that kind of propelled him to win that. There were some chances though for um, Kudla could have done versus Novak what uh, what Norrie did versus Federer and take it into a fourth set. And that would have been intriguing to see, but it didn't happen. But to, to get back to our point about, about tactics versus Novak, my motto is find another way to lose. So it's not a question of, a, of the volley person becoming Patrick Rafter and chipping and charging and serving and volleying and being at the net a hundred times. It's just a way, what coming to net does, it applies pressure that even if you lose the point, you let the opponent know you're there. So if you serve and volley a few times, now you bring the net into returning. Now you at least do some things to let Novak know and as great as he is. Hey, it's not going to just be easy for you this way. I'm going to do some things. I mean, it's kind of like, a, remember the time Dustin Brown beat Nadal at Wimbledon? I mean, again, I'm not saying, and I, I'm not now for Dustin Brown, that's a one-off. And he lost suit enough and he played this, executed this great match, but I, I'm going to go back to the development cycle. So for parents, players, instructors, building player tools. This is what it's about. So as much as I think um, any instructor wants to fetishize our three, particularly Novak, given how well he's playing right now, keep in mind, build a player who can beat Novak. Build the game of tomorrow, not just the replicant of today that's going to be dated by tomorrow. So that's what's interesting. And so I think that's, that's a big part about uh, what you take, what we can take away from our three building the game that can beat them.
1: Yeah. Well, um Kudla Kudla did go after it a little bit. Um, you know, he he definitely wasn't passive. He took his rips. He was aggressive. He he tried to take matters into his own hands. Uh but uh, one of the thing that that becomes challenging especially when you don't go to net is just finishing these points against someone who moves and defends as well as Novak. And I just think the match point was a a perfect illustration of what Novak can do on this surface in terms of movement and defense, which uh, I feel like is just previously unthought of it's an impossibility. This is a surface that quote unquote, you can't defend on and Novak defends on it uh, in a way that is just reminiscent more like of, of hard courts and, and clay courts. Right. And I know that that statement is an absolute you can't, but, You know, if if you soften it a little bit, it becomes it's just really difficult to do. But Novak seems to be so comfortable doing it.
3: I don't think of it as I think it's I think what Novak is doing is transcending these terms of offense and defense. He's extending of the way that um, you go back through uh, non people like Agassi, people like Connors, Jim Courier got to the finals at Wimbledon uh, for all sorts of reasons. But I think there's just a different way that Novak it's it's I know what you mean about defense and and hunkering down but there's some other way that Novak is applying pressure and he's showing more and more the completeness of his kind of game and for a long time the two-handed backhand was considered oh that's the that's the handicapped backhand that's the lesser that makes you less of a complete player because you have a two-handed backhand but Novak hey wait a second hey wait a second guys no no I'm more complete look at look how uh, the down the line backhand is one of the biggest game changers in tennis and and that's because the two-handed backhand. What players can do, the the one-handed backhand is is not nearly as technically able to hit deep drives. And what Novak can do with his down-the-line backhand and open up the court, all of that, just tremendous.
1: I'm more talking about a shot that should be a point-ending shot, and then it's not against Novak. Right, that too. How
2: demoralizing is that? And I did make a note that that match point was Novak's game in – a microcosm. And there were, I think at least twice, two times during that point that Kudla either should have won the point right there or should have taken command of that point. And there were two different Gumby moves where he was outstretched and extended the point. And often I think he does it with depth. He has this innate sense of how to return the ball with depth, or in a rally get the ball when he's in a, a defensive position get the ball back with depth and we all know what depth does it kills
3: exactly right depth solves all
1: it's so uh, underrated and it's because it's it's just not quite as sexy as a winner down the line but it's just as effective to hit it deep up the middle <laughs> um That's right. right, Do do we want a a word on Andy Murray, Amy, before we go on to the round of 16 matches? I understand uh, we've had a, we've, we have a request.
2: One of our YouTube wonderful YouTube commenters said, could you say something about Andy Murray? And after Murray lost the other day um, to Shapovalov, he said some things like, I'm just not sure if it's worth it. I mean, poor guy. When, when just, the match earlier or two matches earlier, he had said, stop asking me if this is my last <laughs> Wimbledon. <laughs> um, so it, it reminded me actually of when Novak lost to Cecilado in 2018 um in the I believe it was the round of 16 and and then right after the match they go up to him and they go Novak you know man what's going on what do you think and he said they said something about Wimbledon and he said I don't even know if I'll play grass this year and then he went on to win Wimbledon (laughs) it's a good thing he played grass that year but you just say things you know you just say things in the in the Mm -hmm. heat of a loss and the the that I really liked about Murray's comments um earlier in the tournament was he said quote I just want to play and it reminds me of a little boy he just wants to play and and so I would tell fans of Murray um don't don't be too upset or or you know bothered by him saying that you know he he just doesn't know if it's worth it just that soon after a loss
3: that's a great point and he'll uh play i think that i don't worry that don't worry about murray not playing more worry more about murray's movement and his forehands because he be he was looking pretty uh well worn in the course of that match in the course of his loss it doesn't mean he's necessarily retiring because you're right he wants to play and, and i wrote about this about how a night a night in the british summer was like the ones he probably had with his brother when he was a teenager wanting to squeeze out a few more minutes of daylight and play some more tennis and continue. And I think, you know, we're seeing so much uh, such a, such a theme in sports, just give me another chance. Just give me some more chances. And and as the careers get longer, that's going to become even more of a need because we're our, our sense of age of what used to be 30 was the witching hour. So 32 and Murray's 34 and here's Roger 40. So what's that all going to mean? We're going to have like these, uh, you know eight year long farewell tours.
1: Yeah. I think it might benefit him to get a little bit desperate because I think there's adjustments that he needs to make in his game, and he hasn't been quite as malleable as Nadal and Djokovic um, have been, and maybe even Federer. I think he's really stayed the same, and uh, I-, I do hope that that maybe maybe he'll change that because he hates the feeling. You know, I mean, he was so he was so upset after uh, losing to Dennis. Um, All right, uh, let's start with Djokovic, who gets up. Uh, Christian Garin next. It's a 1-0 head-to-head. They played at the ATP Cup. Djokovic won three and three. Uh, you know, Garin does not have a very impressive resume off clay. Um, and uh, I just, I kind of feel the same way about this matchup that I did before the tournament, uh, which is that it's not really someone who, who's going to be able to push Novak in all likelihood.
3: I agree. I mean, this is kind of, this is a pretty, uh, it's around the 16th. So you can't quite say this, but it has sort of a certain batting practice quality to it. Like truly, I mean, this guy tremendous reach the sixteens of Wimbledon. It's not, this is not the time where, well, now I'm going to pull some new rabbits out of my hat. You know, it's like, that's, this is the dilemma of skills and pro tennis. It's kind of like, okay, I'm going to go in there with what I have and I'm going to hope for the best and see if I can, Catch some things and disrupt him, and do some things. But really, I just I just think Novak again is so so focused and so sharp and so sound that uh, I don't see I don't see him being tested significantly at all.
2: There are those who are saying that Djokovic's draw in this tournament has been a cakewalk. Um, this they, the, those might point to this match as an example. Um, Personally, I think if you're the number one player in the world and the defending champion, then you deserve that draw. Um,
1: well, can I, can I interrupt there? Please, Medvedev please. on the other side, for example, right? Just, so just the argument against that is Medvedev is the two seed, which is actually the same as the one seed technically in the draw math. And right now he's about to go five with Marin Chilich in the third round on his best surface in the first round. He had Jan Leonard Struff, who we've talked about how dangerous he is in the second round, pretty easy against Carlos Alcaraz. But so, so Novak uh Gareen is an overseeded player because of what he does on clay. So it's fortunate to get him at, at Wimbledon. Oh, I
3: wouldn't I don't call him an overseeded. I don't think he's an overseeded player. I think he's a seeded player. I mean, overseed is just a, it, it, it's not, it, it's just, it, it's the point of seeding in the ATP world is, Hey, this is, this is the result of what I've done for 52 weeks. Thank you very much. I'm not, it, I, it's each tournament we've had the, the, the tournament is not a silo unto itself. Therefore it's grass. So, yeah. um, you know, you want to, I mean, so that's not the point yet. Medvedev, the number two seed who Novak crushed in the Australian open final. I mean, it's, it's, it's just fascinating, but he, the draw is the draw appears easy when you're that much better. That's kind of the problem. And also yeah. there's, there's so much, um, I mean, there's so much insufficient data all around still in tennis this year. I mean, we've had, we've had the clay court season. We didn't have as much of a hard court season. And, and it's, just, it's just so fuzzy what all these things are. And I think that makes it that much easier for the people, the experience and the match results and the, the, consist, you know, the confidence, the awareness, particularly the place as you know, Wimbledon is so funny. On the one hand, it's institutional and it's significant, but it's also kind of wacky. Wow, grass—you know, grass—that's kind of a whole adjustment curve. And so, for a guy like Garin, whoa, second week of grass—I mean, how many ma- how many practice sets has he ever played on grass? How, and much less how many matches?
2: Yeah, I—I I don't see this one as a problem. I feel like a broken record. I say that every time. Right. Um, maybe we should just talk about Federer's next well, opponent. <laughs> uh, here's Federer, the contest but, on Garin. Go yeah, ahead. Go.
1: So Garin is 0-4 against top 50 players on grass. He's 2-8 against top 10 players on any surfaces. The two wins are on clay. He, you know, his ranking is very much buoyed because he's fantastic um, on, you know, clay 250s, some clay 500s. And to his credit, he had his deepest run at a major at Roland Garros this year, reaching the fourth round, losing in straight sets to Daniil Medvedev, which in my opinion wasn't a great showing for him uh but but that's that's who he's been on the tour
2: gil with that research i would like to put you on the wimbledon seating committee as i want everybody seated based on their surface prowess and um that you guys know where i stand on that yes
1: yes well, I, I, I will say this.
3: Is that my way of saying I don't uh, – I, I think I, – I'll be interested to know in the future of Wimbledon, they want to resume that when there are more things, but I'm not quite sure – yeah, I, I'm not sure if they want to resume Look, grass seeding.
1: I have no problem with, with – as, as long as there are draws, some players are are going to – and they're picking out of a hat. Some years it's going to be really tough – some years it's going to be really easy. There's actually a lot of data that suggests that Novak's, uh, the majority of, of Novak's slam titles have been more difficult um, th- than the other two. The data just based on, on literal, literal rankings math. Um, and with that being said, Federer has been enormously fortunate, in my opinion, with his draw, because I also think that if Federer had, I don't know, Daniil Medvedev's draw, I don't know that he'd still be around, given how he looked against Adrian Manorino and having to work himself into the tournament. Still I not a believer. And <laughs> Federer,
2: yeah, he just needs some
1: time. So you think you think he would have beaten Struff in the first round, playing like I know it's a completely oh, that different been matchup, tough,
2: wouldn't it? And that's Somehow, what I'm
3: saying. Better
2: didn't get Struff. <laughs> Struf.
3: Struff, you want Struff? It's Struff. you 42nd seeds. Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, I just, I the, apropos of nothing, and I, I don't want to get into too much of this, but yeah. I've been reading through a lot of the PTPA stuff and um, just like going through all the... What it is that they're trying to do in terms of equity and things like that, and it, it has dawned on me. I knew this already, but it's really dawned on me just how important the slams are for the financial picture of these individual players. I mean, it's their livelihood. It, that's where all the prize money is, in in proportion to the other things that they do on tour. And so um, I, I just, I, I, it needs to be fair. Because it means so much to these players, it's got to be fair.
3: So well, let me ask you while we're since we hit on PTPA, is your sense that the PTP they want to create more money for those one twenty okay, if you look at the slam doors, Wimbledon, that first round prize money and amenities are greater for the one twenty eight in, in Wimbledon, or is or what are the implications of this for players ranked, let's say one fifty to 250. The the
2: PTPA has not really talked about the SLAMs as much yet. Right now they're working on their relationship with the ATP and the, the 1000s and the 250s and the 500s, they're trying to hash out. And I think that's a good place to start. And you know what? The ATP despite first saying that they weren't going to recognize them. Now they're listening to them and they're engaging in a dialogue. So good for Novak for, for sticking to it. And, and now there's a dialogue.
1: But, and the yeah. ATP for stopping with the talk to the hand act. That yes. They were.
3: But also, yes. so again, so if we're talking about, yeah, the slams, which are not quite, AT, like not, not ATP as such, even though they, even though the PTPA would like a bigger percentage of the slam purse, but also the 250s and the 1000s, which are meant for players still in the top hundred, because there are even fewer jo- smaller draws in those events than that. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to understand. I'm trying to eventually, and, and this isn't for this talk, but I want to eventually understand the PTP vision of what income equal income equality right. means more for how many tennis players, for 128, for 256, etc. But we will well, and so again, it'll be interesting to see more how Novak and Paspalj, who are kind of the, you know, the the co-leaders of this effort, how that goes and uh, how that works. Is it's 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 becoming somewhat more clear after being quite abstract for a while.
1: We're excited to get to get into that after after Wimbledon. I'm sure we'll <laughs> we'll have some good conversations uh, before we move on from from Garin to Lorenzo Sonego, who Federer faces in the fourth round. I do think some people listening. Might want some sort of idea about Gareen's game. I think his greatest strength is his speed. He does have a pretty big forehand. He's got a flat backhand, but it's not. It's not. Um, sometimes struggles when you get it low to his backhand. He's not very good there. Uh, has issues notoriously with nerves sometimes as well. Um, and you know, I, he he is someone who can run a lot and is very very fit. It's kind of my assessment. Anything to add?
3: He'll have a chance to demonstrate both those skills on Monday. He'll be running, he'll be doing a lot of running. Yeah,
1: he'll, he'll be, be running. A lot of running.
3: And he'll and he'll he'll gain a lot of fitness and he'll have some experience. And there'll be, I think, and again, this will carry into Senego as well. I don't think he'll have he'll have a few noble moments where he extracts some errors from Novak and wins some rallies. And there will be two all in the first set. I mean, I just think he's gonna see, I, I just think Novak is so, again, so impregnable. I mean, I think the question goes, hmm, how? what's my plan for winning points against him? What am I going to do here? And this gets to the point Amy made a little while ago. Really? I'm going to out-base on him? and Even on grass? I mean, I just... So it, it'd be fascinating to talk with uh, Gareen and his coach and say, what are you guys hatching for this one? Or do you not... Or, or is the thing like, hey, look, we're in the 16s. Let's just dig in Try to get a lot of first serves, not make mistakes, and hope for the best.
1: Have fun. Have fun out there. Enjoy it. Take it in. Um, <laughs> I don't know. That that might be it. Uh, and uh, as the one the one person who's willing to uh, to make uh, predictions on the show, I'm gonna predict uh, one set will be a breadstick or worse for Christian Garin, better for Novak Djokovic. Um, Lorenzo Sinego has played Roger Federer once. Federer won. That was on clay 2019 Roland Garros. It was a straight set three set victory for Federer Senego beat James Duckworth in the last round. Galan Pedro Sousa. Um, he is the number 26 seed made the final at Eastbourne though, and um, pushed Alex D Minor in the final. So he came very close to coming into Wimbledon with a grass court title under his belt, uh, a very fiery con- competitor who really, uh, Embraces the moment, and I think we'll will relish the chance to to face Roger Federer.
3: This one's going to be a lot more slash and burn. This is going to be some moments. There'll be some there'll be some remarkable shots he's going to hit. So that's going to be some interesting little things to see how he tries to strike at Federer and what he kind of does and and how he tries to match his tools. I think I think he's a there's a dynamic quality to him that's kind of exciting and a certain passion he brings. So then of course then if, then there's also the the nerve factor, but still, how he uh, how he grapples that I, I'm I'm way more intrigued to watch this match than the Djokovic match.
2: To me, what'll be interesting to see is how he will. Rise to the occasion of center court, assuming that the match is going to be on center court. I mean, it's one thing to slash and and burn in the run up to Roland Garros or the tune up to Wimbledon, but it's another thing to do the raise the roof thing in front of the Royal Box. So, with Federer's experience and his calm and all that, um, I just don't know how the juxtaposition is going to work in these two um, personality styles.
3: Well, I think it's going to be a lot with his racket too. I think he's going to look to um, do the stuff with his racket and, hit and slash some shots. I don't. I don't think he's going to quite uh, raise his arms and fists on on hollow center court. But I, again, he,
1: he does. That's what he does in Italy. I'll tell you. When 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 does. you put Sonego in Rome, he's uh, he's vocal out there.
3: Right. So I think there's going to be a lot more uh, dynamic energy to this match than the Djokovic match. The Djokovic match is going to have a clinical quality whereas this one's going to be much more, um, this is going to be much more, uh, you know, electric in at times.
1: Yeah. I, I think, you know, Federer has a much, has many more shots than Senego although Senego likes to, to go for a lot on his ground strokes sometimes and, and, you know, hit, hit some massive forehands from difficult positions. There's, uh, there's much more to Federer's game in the way of a slice and the ability to serve volley where I do, you know, Senego it's very much forehand sword, backhand shield. Uh, you know, he, he has a big serve, but it's big serve, first forehand, backhand cross court, topspin, two-hander. Um, so I, I just, what I love to see in these kinds of matchups with Federer on grass is how Roger just uses puts them in in parts of the court where they're uncomfortable, and you know I just don't I don't see Sonego as someone who uh, is Mr Hands or or anything like that. So I'm fascinated to see how Roger tries to take advantage of that.
3: What I'd like to see from Federer this match, now that we've seen the first week, kind of the, the lower division parts, the first week and the the struggle, the Gasquet familiarity, a little bit with Nori. Okay, Roger, I'd like to see something nicely. Nicely comprehensive Notice that becomes this beca- something tidy and it's kind of brisk and there aren't any hurdles, but it's against someone different than let's say Gasquet and that that would be that would be yet another. Progress forward on the Federer train and also for him too, for his own energy conservation sake too, so he can kind of tidily make his way through this match and we'll see again I think I think i'm still curious to see the whole federal physicality. Through mm-hmm. the tennis, how that plays out. And again, the grass, grass covers things, but it reveals things, and there's the agility part, and you know, the footwork.
2: He seems to be managing his body extremely well on grass. I mean, he has slipped a number of times. And and in the match today, he slipped and actually touched his knee down. I got really nervous. Um, but then he popped right back up. So he's actually managing this kind of thing. It seems better than the other players around him.
3: Yeah. For, for once. Hey, Fetter. <laughs> hey, yeah, no, for this, that's that's kind of his genius is the whole, I mean, the longevity guys are so good at the footwork and the balance and the body maintenance. I mean, Fetter, Connors, Rosewall, I mean, these guys just are so had such awareness of their technique and all of that. I mean, I can I can only imagine the the, the smooth, simple practice sessions Feder is having. Now, you know, nice little twenty four minutes yep. of rangy, keep driving around the block a little bit, not too stressful. Take a few serves and overheads. Okay, we got it. I mean, you know, he's not he's no cramming at this point.
1: Yes. Well, I also think it's a it's a one level up in terms of uh, how big a server Sonego is. He really will pop it. Uh, you know, Nori's decent. Nori has a serve, uh, but Senego is again, one up. So I also think that's, that's probably one of the biggest areas where it's going to be. All right. Now, now I'm in the round of 16. This guy has something for me. And I think the serve is is where that is. Um, the number one spot where, where that will show.
3: I want to put in a point about uh, you mentioned that Gil, this is going to be the last year of the, of the manic Monday, the, the greatest day in tennis, Uh, no tennis on the middle Sunday this year for the final time. And Wimbledon becomes that, that combination of that complete day off where the club is mostly vacant and there's no competition. And then Southern Monday, it really becomes like a whole other tournament becomes a little bit like the the wizard of Oz when they go from Kansas in black and white to Oz in color. And Wimbledon is kind of neat the first week, but the second week, and I think for people like Federer, of course, it's it's all familiar and he loves it and he knows it. And so for some of these other players, it's like, whoa, here I am. What is that? And again, the key for Novak is got Novak is gonna do it, he's gonna slowly strangle whoever he plays He's gonna play. Federer might want to see if he can just kind of jump right over Sinego. say, Hey, second week I'm here, you know, get out, try to get if he can do enough things to get off to one of those quick leads and be in charge right away and kind of run him off the court i mean i'll be interested to see if federer can do that or if he has to again to enter into kind of slowly strangle problem solve work his way through mode
1: yeah can can federer avoid the trenches exactly all right well we'll see we're we're all pretty confident that novak will be able to do that um but um we're looking forward to to continuing day off on sunday Uh, it's our, it's the last one ever. Um, so God, we, we better make it count. That's a lot of pressure tomorrow for us. I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about what we have planned for our days. Uh, that'll do it for this episode of three. Remember we're available on all podcast platforms, subscribe, follow, leave a rating and a review on Apple. And if you're watching on YouTube, like the video, leave a comment and subscribe. We'll see you next time on the next episode of
2: three.